John chapter number six. I appreciate you allowing me to use this Pentecostal microphone tonight. I want to take up an offering every time I hold one of these things. But March the 11th, I was at the Northside Hospital there in Atlanta, and I knew I was having some very serious vocal issues. And so I went to this specialist, and he said, let's see what you got in there. Well, he ran a light up that way and said, there's nothing up there could be wrong because there's nothing up there. And so he looked in my larynx and on my vocal cords, I had two polyps, not nodules, polyps. Polyps are ruptured blood vessels. How does a preacher get ruptured blood vessels on his vocal cords? Well, you preach like a hola roller. That's how you do it. And uh, he said, we're going to have to surgically remove them. Boy, that scared me to death. You say it's just minor. Anytime they come after you with a knife, that's major. And then he said, we'll have to check you for cancer. Boy, that scared me to death. And then he said, clear your schedule. Nothing. Ten weeks. Stay at home for ten weeks. That scared me because Julie and I have been married for 38 years and we have never been together for 10 straight weeks. I thought, I'm going to be divorced, much less out of the ministry. And after that fourth week, she said, can you at least go rake leaves or something? And, uh, but to make a long story short, the surgery was successful, and there was no cancer. And about four weeks, I was preaching for 15 minutes only. Boy, our people love that, I'm going to tell you. And then we've been trying to work our way back. And so I have to use this. And I have to preach like a Presbyterian now. But anyway, the Lord is good. Uh, Brother Treber from California sent me a bell. He said, now, Joe, don't talk. He said, if you need anything, you ring that bell. And Julia come running. Yeah. She's from Wilkesboro, North Carolina. I took that bell out of that box, and she said, you ring that bell one time, I'll put it. Well, you'll never find it again, so amen right there. But we're glad to be back on the mountain, and we love the wisdoms. They're great. In fact, a matter, if you like that kind of singing, uh, a couple of Friday nights from now, October the 28th on a Friday night, uh, they're going to be at our church along with Greater Vision, uh, Mark Trammell Quartet, Jim and Melissa Brady, and the Myron Hayes family. All of them's going to be there. And we're going to have a big old hymn sing, and we're going to ring it out with a shout. And all I ask you to do is, if you come, come four days early, because the traffic in Atlanta on Friday night, you won't even feel like going to church by the time you go through all of that. You may be a pre-Berlinius right now, but you fight traffic in Atlanta on Friday. You've been through the tribulation period. Can I get a witness? And I appreciate a kind invitation to come. I love your pastor and his family, and I love it. I love coming here, and I love to see Johnny Pope. He's one of my heroes. I've said this behind your back, and I say it to your face. You're probably the greatest preacher I have ever heard in my life, and I wish you would come up here and take my place. And uh, who wants Johnny to take my place tonight? God bless you, sister. I'm going to preach an hour and a half just for you. Amen. And, uh, but the Lord is good tonight. If you're saved, raise your right hand. If you know it, raise your left hand. 
If you don't know your right from your left, you must be from Alabama. Say amen right there. I thought they were going to start the service tonight singing Sweet Home Alabama. Then I said, no, they'll start singing and sing Rocky Top. But I thought about singing. How many remember Kyla Faye Rowland, the great songwriter? She went to heaven this year. Her very first big hit that was recorded by a major group in 1977 was He'll Row You Over the Tide. And she's from Tennessee. So I believe she might be in heaven saying, he rode them over the tide. Any Alabama fans here, God bless you. We'll be having your funeral service in a little bit. Listen, I'm from Atlanta, Georgia. We're used to losing. In fact, I've started a ministry for Braves fans and Falcons fans to psychologically recover from all the times we blew it. But aren't you glad Jesus never blew it? He kicked a field goal and a home run and a grand slam, and it's good to be here tonight. Turn to somebody beside of you and say, hey, you look better with your mask on. Amen. You liked that, didn't you, sister? God bless you. John chapter number six in your Bible tonight. We're going to begin reading in verse number 16. And when evening was now come, his disciples went down into the sea and entered into a ship and went over the sea toward Capernaum. And it was now dark, and Jesus was not come to them. I want to say yet, but he's on the way. And the sea arose by reason of a great wind that blew. So when they had rowed about five and twenty or thirty furlongs, underline this phrase in the text, they see Jesus. And notice what he is doing in the text. Walking not by the sea, not through the sea, not under the sea, but on the sea. The very thing they thought would be their destruction, Jesus is walking on it. And walking on the sea and drawing nigh unto the ship, they were afraid. But he said unto them, and I love these three little big words, it is I. And he followed it with three more little big words, be not afraid. I love verse 21, then they willingly, I guess so after all of that, then they willingly received him into the ship. And immediately the ship was at the land whether they went. And I'm interested tonight in that little phrase where it said that Jesus was walking on the sea. When the storm, when the circumstances, when the unexpected, uncontrollable circumstances of life had overwhelmed them, and when it was out of their hand and over his feet, I'm glad it's under the feet of the Savior. Most of us that grew up in the South realize that we don't speak English. 
Now, I'm not sure of what language we speak, but it's not English. We, we make up our own words. And, and I remember growing up hearing words thinking, that can't be a real word. But I looked some of them up the other day in the dictionary and some of them words my grandparents used, they were not ignorant. They were real words. How many have not ever heard the word traips? Traips. Well, that dude traped up in here like he owned a place. Traips is a real word. It means to walk about. Anybody done any traping lately? And here's a word my wife's mother used many times, one that I can use in church. And she used the word discombobulated. Anybody ever heard that word before, discombobulated? Well, I thought she made it up. But discombobulated is a real word. It's in the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. And when I seen the definition of the word, brother, it fits the society in which we live. The word discombobulated means confused, bewildered, out of sorts, out of place. Something's not right. And brother, I believe on every hand in our society, it's discombobulated, out of sorts, out of place. I thought about preaching on the discombobulation of society. And then when you have revival, you get recombobulated because you've been discombobulated. But I believe tonight that morally, politically, and even religiously in our nation, things are crazy. It's out of sorts. It's out of place. We're living in a confusing, discombobulating time. It seems like the waves and the trials and the circumstances of life are out of our hand and over our head. But I'm glad tonight that it's still under the Savior's feet. I'm glad this miracle teaches us, along with all the other miracles, that our God is still in control. There's nothing bigger than our God. There's nothing greater than our God. All through the miracles, he reminds us that he's Lord over distance. He's Lord over destruction. He is Lord over demons. He is Lord over disease. He is Lord over death. And in our text, he is even Lord over the disturbances of life. Because I'm glad I'm not in control. Aren't you glad you're not in control? And Obama and Osama or your mama is not in control. Washington may stink, but it ain't in control. The people on television act like they, they're in control, but they're not. I'm glad there's a sovereign God. And let me take that back. Not a sovereign God, but the sovereign God who's got the reins in his hands. And it may be out of our hands and over our head but aren't you glad it's under his feet? Our God is in control. Three things in the text tonight I want us to see. I want us to see, number one, the disciples. And then I want us to see the divine. And then I want us to see the destination. Now, when we see the disciples, that's us. 
But when we see the divine, that's him. But I'm glad when we reach the destination, that's it. And aren't you glad there will be a place where there will be no more storms, no more trials, no more confusion. But aren't you glad between this shore and the other shore, our God is in control. Number one tonight, look in the text at the disciples. That's us. It's a picture of you and I as we sail through the troubled waters of life. Notice three things in the text about the disciples. Number one in the text, notice the darkness that they encountered. Twice in this text, we're reminded that this is a night season in their life. The first verse said it was evening. The second verse said it was now dark. What they're going through in this text did not happen in the day. It happened in a night season. But they found out that the God of the day is still the God of the night. In fact, some of the greatest things that God did in the Bible, he did it in the night season. While it was in a night season when God said to Abraham, I'll bless them that bless thee. It was a night season when Jacob saw the ladder reaching out of heaven down to the earth and the Lord standing at the top. It was a night season when Elijah was in the cave and God spoke to him in a still small voice. It was a night season when Hezekiah laid the letter out before the Lord and in the midnight hour, God intervened. It was a night season when the angels sang down the glory and a star held out its silver finger over the manger and said, that's him. It was a night season in the middle of the day when the Son of God died for the sons of men that the sons of men might become the sons of God. And it was an evening season when they laid our Lord in Joseph's new tomb. But as Psalm 30 verse number five says, though weeping may endure for a night, joy cometh in the morning. And even though it's night, he's the bride and the morning star. Even though it's night, he is the son of righteousness that will arise with healing in his wings. Even though it is night, he is the day star that arises in our hearts. And even though it is night, he is still the light of the world. Why, he is not just God in the day, but he's the God of the night. It was a night season. It was a dark season. But God was still at work. The Bible said that the Lord never sleeps and he never slumbers. He is the God of our darkness. But not only in the text we see the darkness, but secondly, we see the distance that they had gone. The Bible said in our text they had rode about 25 or 30 furlongs. Now, the miracle right before this one is when Jesus went on top of the mountain and he took five loaves and two small fishes and fed 5,000 men plus women and children. 
So after Jesus feeds the 5,000, that's when the disciples go down the mountain, down to the sea, and to get from the top of that mountain to Capernaum, it was a distance of about eight miles. By the time they came down the mountain, down the sea, up the shore of the Sea of Galilee to Capernaum, they had an eight-mile journey. Well, when you figure how long one furlong is, and times that by 25 or 30, here is what you get. They had gone approximately 4.5 miles. They had gone about four and a half miles. Now you do the math. They had eight miles to go, but they had only traveled a little over four. Now what does that tell you tonight? If they had eight miles to go and they had only traveled four, they were halfway. They were just halfway there. You know what halfway is, don't you? Halfway is stuck in the middle. Halfway is this. They're cut off from the help behind them and they've not reached the help in front of them. You know what halfway is, don't you? You're not there yet, but you're too far to turn back. They find themselves in a half time. They find themselves stuck or caught in the middle, and sometimes on our journey, we're just halfway. We're not home yet. This world is not our home. We are not home yet. But I want to tell you something else tonight. We're too far to turn back now. And sometimes along the journey of life, we face what I call a halftime. Now, if you're in this building tonight and you happen to be, uh, by God's grace, an Atlanta Falcons fan, just that phrase alone, halftime, scares you. Because by a miracle, we finally make it to a Super Bowl. And for the first half, we are running that ball down pretty Tom Brady's throat. He is in the phone booth dialing 911 trying to call his mama because for that first half, pretty boy Tom don't know what to do with them dirty birds from Atlanta. But something happened at halftime. Something awful happened at halftime. Tom Brady gets saved and full of the Holy Ghost at halftime. He goes in the locker room and gets divine enablement at halftime. And he comes back out in the second half. And before it's over, the dirty birds are in the phone booth dialing 911. And pretty Tom Brady wins again. And the Falcons' famous statement, wait till next year. Man, you know what happens? Too many people give up at halftime. Too many people throw in the towel at halftime. Too many people give up the race or the game at halftime. But halftime is not quitting time. Halftime is not giving up time. Halftime is where you regroup. Halftime is where you regather. Halftime is because, ladies and gentlemen, the game is not won at halftime. And I know it looks like sometimes the devil's won, but he hasn't. 
I know sometimes it looks like the world has finally defeated the church of a living God, but it hasn't. Jesus said on the shores of Caesarea Philippi, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And whether it's the first half or the last half or the dark time or the daytime, he is still God. He is still Lord. It's still under his feet. Our God is still in control even in the halftime of our life. I see the darkness, I see the distance. Number three in the text, I want you to see the despair that they felt. The Bible said in that dark hour, in the midst of that uncontrollable circumstance, they were afraid. And say that little phrase with me. They were afraid. Sometimes I'm amazed at these real Super duper spiritual people. And I found out they're really not super duper spiritual. They're just super duper liars. Because they say, never afraid. I'm never discouraged. I never have a bad day. I don't understand how you can be married and not have a bad day. I mean, how's a man going to be married to a woman and never have a bad day? How's a woman going to be married to an old sloppy man and not have a bad day? How in the world can a man have a mother-in-law, oh Lord, and not have a bad day? Boy, they talk like they're never discouraged, they're never defeated, they're always topside and they ain't afraid of nothing. But I've found out in my life There are some things that'll shake you to the core. There are some things that you see and hear and taste and feel that causes you to be afraid. I made my brags all over the country that I was never afraid. And if anybody wants to break in my house, bring it on. I'll be waiting on them with something. Well, they did. And I like to die. My wife and children were gone to see her mother. You say, why didn't you go with them? I was already fighting depression. I didn't want to add to it. And so I was laying in the bed, Brother Johnny, about three o'clock in the morning, and I heard that unmistakable sound. Somebody's wiggling the doorknob. And I reached over to do like I always do. Julie, go see what that is. But I reached over there and Sister Arthur wasn't there. I thought I put my head under the cover. Maybe it'll go away. But it didn't go away. So finally Jojo had to go see. Boy, I got out of the bed in my glory in the dark Batman pajamas that don't laugh at me. I reached under my bed and got that Remington 870 and went, there ain't no cell like sucking an 870. And evidently that fellow trying to wiggle that door had heard that sound before. So when I went, he ducked and dived down. Boy, I threw that gun up. I said, bless God, I'll just shoot through the door. And this hit me. Oh, this hit me. If I blow a hole in that door, Miss Arthur be mad at me. 
she wouldn't care about him coming in and getting me but blowing a hole in that door. Son, my knees begin to play Dixie on each other. I reached over there to that wall, grabbed that telephone. I was gonna call 911. I like to never found 11 on that dial. Finally, I got 911. They said, Clayton County, 911. I said, Just remember, it's Brother Jother, Pastor Harvey. I was scared to death. Finally, the law come and caught the guy in the bushes. He said, I just wanted a place to stay. They said, We got one for you. By the time all the law left my house, it was time. I was supposed to go to the airport and catch a plane. I could do it nearly every Monday morning and go preach somewhere. So I had to run and get a shower real quick. And man, evidently, I've watched too many of them Alfred Hitchcock pictures. Because while I was in that shower, I could just see that knife coming through the curtain and my blood going down the shower drain. I was afraid. I was shaken. I've been afraid, you've been afraid. There's a phone call that'll make us afraid. There's a doctor's visit that'll make us afraid. There'll be something bigger than us that'll make us afraid. But aren't you glad when we are afraid? He is a refuge and a very present help in the time of trouble. And God doesn't keep us from fear, but he keeps us in the midst of our fear. The disciples That's us. Boy, they're despair. They're frightened. They're only halfway. They're caught in the middle and darkness is going to envelop them. But I want to say to those disciples, hold on boys, it's not as bad as it seems. There's somebody headed your way and his name is Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. And he's not walking by the sea. He's not walking under the sea. He's not walking through the sea. He's on the sea. He's still in control of the disturbances in our life. I see the disciples, that's us. Oh, but I want to come to the second thing tonight and I want you to see the divine, that's him. The divine, that's him. I don't want to overemphasize us. I want to magnify him. I see the divine, Notice what the Holy Spirit says here in the word of God. It's dark. They're halfway. They're afraid. But all of a sudden, like a bright light that permeates the darkness, it just says out of nowhere. Look at the text. And they see Jesus. It's still dark, but they see Jesus. They're still stuck in the middle, but they see Jesus. They're still afraid, but they see Jesus. You say, Brother Joe, how do you see somebody when it's dark? When they're the bright in the morning star, they just kind of stand out. How do you see somebody in the dark when they're the son of righteousness? They just kind of stand out. You know what I love about this? Up to this point, Brother Johnny, all they had seen was each other. 
Up to this point, all they had seen was lightning and thunder and wind and waves. Up to this point, all they had seen is one another's fear and failure. All they had seen up to this point were their own inner capabilities. But now somehow, they're looking above the shadows. They're looking above the lightning. They're looking above the thunder. And right in the midst of their discombobulation, they see it. Jesus. Oh, tonight may you and I get a glimpse of the Lord Jesus and not be distracted by the waves and keep our eyes on him who's still in control and they see Jesus. Two things about him in the text. Notice his walking and notice his words. He is walking on the sea. When I saw this next phrase, I about knocked the back end of my choir robe out. And they see Jesus walking on the sea, and listen to this phrase, drawing nigh unto the ship. He's not out there just walking around headed nowhere. He has a destination in mind. He is drawing nigh under the ship. I looked up that little word draw. You know what the word draw means in the Bible? It means to be induced. It means to be pulled in a direction by an overwhelming force. Up to this point, all the drawing I've seen in the Bible is a sovereign God taking the initiative, drawing a depraved sinner to himself. Anybody here tonight saved and know it and glad about it? You know why you're saved and you know it and you're glad about it? Because one day when you were not interested in God and you didn't have a desire for God, the Holy Ghost induced you. He drew you. He made you interested. And a sovereign God takes the initiative and he induces and he draws you. I'm glad I have been induced. I'm glad I have been drawn. Do you remember before you got saved, you didn't think about God? You didn't want God? You weren't interested? Rested in God, but one night God, he induced you, he drew you, you got hungry, you got thirsty, you got interested. Aren't you glad God draws us to him through the power of the Holy Spirit? But in this text, God's not doing the drawing. In this text, the Lord Jesus Christ, the God-man, he's induced. He's gotten interested. He is being pulled in a direction by an overwhelming force. He is drawing nigh to them. He is being pulled to them. Something has induced the sovereign God of heaven to go to that ship. What in the world could induce the sovereign God of heaven? What in the world could induce a God who created the heavens and the earth? I mean, how in the world can I get God's attention where he's drawn to me? Their fear had drawn them. Their incapabilities had drawn them. You say, I don't understand why he's drawn to that boat. What could be in that boat that's drawing and pulling and inducing him? I'll tell you what it is. It's not the 
the sails. It's not the stern. It's not the bow. It's not the anchor. It's those men that's on that boat. That's who's induced him. That's who's pulling them. He loves them. He's created them. He's converted them. He's called them. On the day of Pentecost, he's going to feel them. He's going to use them. He cares about them. And he's headed in their direction. And let me clear me off some ground right here and say, when a sovereign God gets induced and he makes up his mind he's coming to you, hang on, he'll be there because nothing can stop the Lord. You say, well, I believe he can be stopped. Really? Well, let's deduce this just a minute. What you going to use to stop him? What are you going to use to stop him? You can't use water, he'll walk on it. You can't put him in a fire, he'll walk around in it, refuse to burn. You can't build walls around him because he'll have his preacher to shout him down. You can't seal him out with a closed door because he'll walk through it and not even knock on it. You can't nail him to a cross because he'll bleed on it and render it powerless. And you sure can't seal him in a tomb because 72 hours later, he'll knock the lid off and come out on the other side. Brother, you can't stop the Lord. I can't stop the Lord when God sovereignly says, I'm headed to that church. I'm headed to that ministry. I'm headed to that family. Hang on, he'll be there. He's never late. He's never discombobulated. He's never overwhelmed. It's never out of his hand. I've just come to tell you, there's nothing, nothing, nothing. I'm not even supposed to get it started. There's nothing that God cannot do. Man, I want to shout so bad I can't stand it. Notice his walking and then notice his words. While he's walking on their troubled waters, headed to them, he's a saying something. It is I. It is I. It is I. Be not afraid. Let me preface this so you just don't think I'm ignorant. I know the eye of a hurricane or a hurricane. I really don't know how you're supposed to say that hurricane or hurricane, but whatever it is, you don't want to be in one. I know the eye of a hurricane or a hurricane is spelt like the eye in your head. I know that. But what an eye is to a natural storm, Jesus is the eye of our spiritual storms. Where is the eye located in the storm? In the center, in the midst. You know where he's at in our life tonight? In the midst. What is the eye? It controls the storm. I'm captivated by the weather channel. You know you, know you really need to get a life if all you have to do is watch somebody cook food, play poker, or watch the Weather Channel. Or watch the Atlanta Falcons lose another one. Can I feel your pain? 
But have you watched that weather channel? Okay, you folks in Mississippi, look out. That hurricane's coming. That eye has shifted to the, here it comes. No, wait just a minute. You folks over there on the peninsula of Florida, hang on, it's shifted. That, that storm's not gonna go anywhere where that eye doesn't let it because that eye is the center of the storm and that eye controls the storm. And by the way, you know what's in the center of the storm? That's where the calm is. Those outer winds are blowing 150. Those back winds blowing 180. But right smack dab in the middle, in the boiler room, there is calm. The eye's the center of the storm. It controls the storm. It's the calm of the storm. And you know what Jesus is to you and I tonight? He's the center of our storm. He's in control of our storm. And he's the calm of our storm. I see the disciples, that's us. I see the divine, that's him. But lastly, look in the last line of the text. I see the destination, that's it. I'm glad two things about this destination. Number one, it was reached, and number two, it was realized. I love the way it's worded in the last part of our text. It said, and they willingly... And they willingly, and they willingly received him into the ship. They wasn't Baptist. They wasn't independent Baptist. Because they've been like most Baptists I know that have said, hey, this ain't our first storm. This is my ship. We know what we're doing. Yeah, you made it halfway. You've told all night and as far as you've gone halfway. If you got any sense, you'll open up your door and say, come on in here. And they willingly, I believe one of them said, Jesus, take the wheel. They willingly received him into the ship. By the way, there's nothing wrong to giving up when you're giving up to the one who never gives up. There's nothing wrong with saying I can't if you're saying I can't to the one that says I can. Aren't you glad tonight? He is willing, he is willing if we are willing to step in the confusion of our world. They welcomed him on board in the midst of their confusion. And then I saw this and I like to die. Notice the last line of our text. When they willingly received Jesus into the ship, it says, what's the first word? Immediately. You know what immediately means? They spell it in Alabama. R-A-T-N-O-W. Right now. Immediately. Anybody got a snapper with you tonight? You ready? Snap for them. That's immediately. And all of God's people said, not amen, and all of God's people said, immediately. Now, I'm not making this up. I didn't get this off of sermonaudio.com. This is not a Joe Arthur, Larry Brown, C.T. Townsend, or even a David Gibbs illustration. Why, Johnny Pope never even gave this illustration. Brother Johnny, this really happened. (laughs) 
Can I get a witness? The Bible said when Jesus got on board, immediately the ship was at the land where they went. You say, what is so big about that? Remember in the introduction, they had eight miles to go. They had told all night and only gone four. That means they got four more miles to go and they've been rowing and toiling half the night and they'd only gone eight miles in their own strength. But as soon as the captain and the Lord and the Rose of Sharon and the Lily of the Valley and the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, as soon as he stepped on board, They were there. I ain't making this up. I didn't get this off the internet. Well, bless God, Mace Jackson never even told this one. Look, just like that, they made more. I mean, it's right there in the Bible. They had only gone halfway, and that took them all night. But as soon as Jesus got on board, immediately they were there. They made it further and they made it faster with Jesus on board than without Jesus being on board. You say, what has that got to do with us? Boy, sometimes when you're in the middle of it, sometimes when you're standing at the foot of it, it feels like I'll never get through this. But one day Jesus comes walking on the troubled waters, gives us that word that we need, and it's like a dream. And we're there. That's how fast we're going to heaven someday. For we shall be changed in a moment in the, no, in the, of an eye. Some of you right now need to tell the devil. And I believe, Brother Jeff, when they got to their destination, they looked back over that eight miles and went, that wasn't too far. Well, that didn't take too long at all. That really wasn't all that bad. Because there's just something about being there. Does something to all of the past. I just got this little sneaky feeling one day when the ship pulls into the harbor, when the church has sailed through its last storm, and the, we've been through our last battle and our last difficulty. I believe when we step out on the other side and see Jesus for the first time, and God shall. Wipe away all the tears from our eyes. I couldn't sing before I had surgery, and now I really can't. I've always wanted to sing with the wisdoms, but they never would let me. 
you know, the inspirations let me play the guitar with them, and the primitives let me play the guitar with them. Even Jeff Easter lets me play my guitar with them. They won't even let me mash their buttons. But since I can't sing no more, I thought about going into rap. I'm from Atlanta, bless God. I got rhythm. I'll spare you that. But if I could sing, I'd like to do a little bit of this one. When I see Jesus smile, hear him say, well done, my child. It'll be worth every mile of the trip. Like a happy pilgrim who's arrived on the shore and forgot how the waves tossed his shield. If I can see Jesus smile, hear him say, well done, my child. It'll be worth every mile of the trip. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. The songwriter said all the toils of the road will seem as nothing. when we come to the end of the way. But until then, my heart will go on singing. Until then, with joy, we'll carry on. Until the day our eyes behold the city. Until the day God calls us home. As my buddy Squire Parson would say, when he reaches out his hand, below cease at his command. Aren't you glad he's the master? When it's over your head and out of your hand, aren't you glad tonight it's under his feet? Let's stand together. Lord, we love you tonight. And Lord, we realize that we're unworthy of the least of thy tender mercies. But Lord, we also realize tonight that you don't deal with us on the merit of our worthiness. Not because of us, but in spite of us. You look beyond our fault and you see our needs. Lord, when we fail you, you never fail us. When we fall short, you always exceed. And Lord, I pray that you'll help us tonight in the midst of a world seemingly that's discombobulated. May we keep our eyes upon thee. Help us in this hour. Lord, you said without me you can do nothing. And Lord, we confess tonight we need you in our lives. We thank you for who you are, what you're doing, and what you're going to do. And one day, Lord, we'll reach the destination and we'll look back and we'll give you the glory for staying with us. And Lord, if all we can do in our own strength is make it halfway, I'm glad you'll come to us and take us the rest of the journey. We love you tonight and we give you the glory because we ask it in the wonderful, precious mighty name of Jesus and all of God's people said no you didn't get it and all of God's people said